I was listening to a conversation about a film the other day in which uh, there's a sequence that takes place on a prison transport plane. And the director went and looked over what one of these planes actually looks like and was disappointed to find that it basically just resembled a commercial airplane. Yeah, not much different to what we fly on or where we used to fly. And so, you know, in order to make his the sequence in the film more compelling and engaging and dramatic and intention filled, you know, he invented a bunch of stuff, you know, like electronic locks on the floor that hold feet in place and a you know, bunch of stuff like that. And obviously that's a long tradition in, in film and, and, and other kind of, you know, novels and the like when you're even engaging with a real-life figure or a real-life situation or, or, or a reality, someone grounded in something that exists, is the need to be inventive and creative, to synthesise, to simplify, to, or to make more complex, you know, what's going on because a film is not a Wikipedia entry. It's its own thing. And so there's, a, a, you know, a freedom then to be creative with source material, with, uh, you know, reality in order to make something work and stir an audience. The issue is probably that a lot of folks doing theology, at least according to my guest today, and I think she's right, uh, do that often sometimes with the lived experience of those people whom they are engaging in order to synthesise, you know, diverse groups and experiences in order to, um, you know, draw some, draw a lived experience or a lived community into one's argument, even if it doesn't necessarily fit properly or is not necessarily being, you know, engaged in its depth of nuance and diversity. And we need to be better at that. And I hope I will be too. And so I'm very excited to welcome my guest today, Sarah Gillingham, who is an Anglican who speaks of her experience of being born with intersex traits. She is featured on national TV, radio and newspapers in the UK, as well as contributing articles to the religious press. Sarah has recently worked with the Church of England's House of Bishops on including intersex in the Episcopal teaching document and materials entitled Living in Love and Faith, published in November 2020, and has shared her personal story in one of these resources. I'm excited to welcome Sarah today to Love, Friends, Repeat. Love, Rinse, Repeat, for those who don't know, it's a podcast recorded on Dark Young Land by me, Liam Miller, he, him, his, a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia. I'm glad you've dropped on by and uh, welcome and stay around for the chat. See you. Well, uh, Sarah Gillingham, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat. <laughs> and, okay, Thank so we're gonna we'll, we'll acknowledge this now because we just had a whole conversation on whether I was going to try to say <laughs> Gillingham like in a more English mode or or Gillingham as, as I guess I would think about it. With or Sarah accent. or Sarah. Yeah, Sarah or Sarah. So like, yeah, I was so focused on Sarah that I I, I went back to the uh, the other one. So anyway, that's it. We're off to a rocking start, but that just brings everyone into the. We were so we had the whole conversation, so we were so. I was so in my head about how I was going to do it. I'm not sure what to call myself now either. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll just, well, yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat. It is great to have you. So we we kind of connected because about a month ago I posted an interview with Susanna Cornwall on, um, on her work on intersex theology and the Bible, and you engaged with it on Twitter and, and we kind of got to talking uh, about the interview and about you know the topic in general and and so I was like oh this would be great we should we should as I had talked with Susanna I was like this is the start of um, conversations that I'd like to have on the podcast and uh, so so this was then a great next step so I guess maybe you know the 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 
big opening question is, why did you get, you know, uh, why did that interview grab your attention? Why did you uh, enter into the conversation? And 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 I guess you know what is it that that you know drew drew this whole thing together? <laughs> One, I've worked with Susanna a little in the past. who's a fantastic theologian, and I'll come back to that. What I think a good theologian is. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, she's been involved with the Church of England for quite a while now, whereas I got. Uh, involved in discussions around insects with something they had something called shared conversations mm-hmm. where it's predominantly about human sexuality but I was invited along and most of the stuff that had been written in theological terms at that time was by Susanna yeah. and she's a great brain but what makes her such a great theologian is how she collaborates. So a lot of my criticism, really, of uh, liberal theologians generally is they're not always good at collaborating. Mm. And the the reality of that sometimes mean they get things wrong. And we sometimes undervalue lived experience. But the reason why it's important, I'll probably give a couple examples, and this is why Susanna gets it right and others who have written about intersects that simply get it wrong. And one of the major problems I've had when I've talked about my own lived experience is people conflate it with other things. So, you know, there's a big debate whether I belongs against LGBT, you know, is it LGBTI plus? And... Without going the ins and outs of that, uh, the problem we get in theological and church circles is it tends to get conflated with trans. Mm. So often I've spoken about my own experience and people still go away from the conversation thinking I'm trans. I go, I'm not trans. You know, I've tried to explain it. I thought I might, I've almost got so desperate I've come along with a piece of plasticine and started modelling what intersex people may look like. Although, having said that, when we talk about intersex, it may be, we talk about variations. It may be variations in sex characteristics that are to do with genitals and gonads, but equally maybe to do with chromosomes, so it's not visible. People may have an extra chromosome, for instance. Mm. Or even differences in hormones, so it's not actually as... black and white as that either and the other thing you know in the discussions I've had with Susanna a lot of people who've generally spoken about sexuality have looked at intersex and assumed it's an identity Mm -hmm. you know we talk about intersex Christians well yes it may be in taken on as an identity so I was involved in help with a couple of others arranging the first intersex contingent at London Pride a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you know, you'd say, right, okay, most people in that group would take it on as identity. But the reality is most people with intersex traits or variations in sex characteristics don't. Mm-hmm. But a lot of theologians have assumed we do. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this in recently the Church of England have just put out the series of materials called Living in Love mm. and Faith. And I don't know how big it is, 
you know, outside England and Wales. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm but not sure. Those, yeah, yeah, people yeah, might not have known. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the going back a bit, there's a typical Church of England being there, seeing themselves at the head of the Anglican Communion. I think the initial idea was it would be a blueprint for other denominations mm-hmm. across the world. But everybody else has done it now because Church of England is. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit behind. So instead of being <laughs> the leader, we're suddenly the uh, dragging our feet. Sure, yeah. But, you know, put that to one side. Mm. Uh, but what... So when they put those materials together, they didn't include anybody who had insect trait. Mm. And they were taking papers where liberal theologians had written very brainy stuff, but assumed it is all an identity. Mm. And if, you know, the re- I do research with Surrey University over here in the UK, a little bit with Exeter. And what we know is if you take the population as a whole with variations, the majority don't. You mm. know, they don't see it as, you know, I could say I am Sarah or is it Sarah or is it? Gillingham or Gillingham or whatever. I'm <laughs> not quite sure what I am anymore. Uh, I forget, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, all of it. That, like, you know, you could take it as an identity. Yeah. So, okay. So, I've, but the research we did was finding that most, I would say, I am Sarah, the accountant. Mm. With variations, mm-hmm. you know, it's description. As I could say, I'm Sarah, the accountant with blue eyes. Mm-hmm. It's really description, it's not an identity. Now, the reality is because of, I'd probably flip them personally. I may flip them, flip out of that, you know, because I'll, I'll say, well, hey, it's not an identity. And then my partner will start chuckling away, going, <laughs> you should all Sarah, it's not an identity. <laughs> 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 but it, it's that assumption. Mm, and the mm. other the other thing is is that quite often theologians in the past when they've spoken about intersex haven't actually kept the focus on what it is to be intersex, what the pastoral needs are, what what the concerns are, but really take our stories and then start talking about other things, you know, start mm. talking about gender identity, something different. Because, mm. But then they're not, again, necessarily interested in gender identity. They may be in, they're taking that and talking about, you know, the sexes being complementary and human mm. sexuality mm. and so forth. And this is very much what I saw in Living in Love and Faith Project, is that they were really taking intersex but losing that focus misunderstanding it and really talking about sexuality and an interesting work I've been doing with Susanna and I want to give a plug out to another theologian Mm. I'll I'll just put a book here yeah Karen O'Donnell who's been writing a lot about uh, trauma theology Mm -hmm. And the thing I've been 
So I've got things collapsing now. <laughs> if you can see, I have this pile of theology books. Probably <laughs> behind me, a great big bookcase, but yeah. I'm, like, I'm surrounded by books. I, I think it's, I think it's probably a little bit of a problem with all, all those religious types. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> many books, and we have about ten different versions of the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got a few of those lying around. Yes. Um, Good to have. Yeah, but. The work we were doing with her is talking about epistemic violence and mm-hmm. this idea that people are not trusted to tell their own stories because yeah. we're too close to it. Mm-hmm. And, and we also start talking about how, you know, sometimes when I speak about it, it's water off a duck's back, basically. But sometimes you are reliving traumatising experiences. Mm. And there's a difference here between suffering and trauma, you know. But there's a couple of times when I've certainly been involved in discussions and been a little bit surprised, you know, the effect it's had on me. Mm. So with Karen O'Donnell, we're putting together another book next year. And, And where the likes of Susanna and Karen are so good, is that collaboration, giving a platform really to people with a lived experience so you're not taking away their voices. Mm. Whereas what we saw with Church of England and the Living Love and Faith, they're effectively taking away the voices of those with a lived experience. Mm. And, and you know, we often... Coming from where I am and sort of discrimination I've faced and I continue to face in the church, it's easy to point the finger at more conservative elements. And, but actually sometimes the problem is amongst the liberal mm. elements by taking, taking our voices and, you know, not giving us the platform mm. for ourselves. Yeah, a sense of trying to add to the add to the raft, add to the numbers, you know, and the community who are being represented in, in advocating for change and greater inclusion, but you know, essentially using the you know whatever whatever thing they want to take, like look at this biological thing to bring into the argument, rather than going, well, how are these people understanding it themselves? How is it yeah exactly impacting the way they are received by the world? Um, and and what does it mean for exactly as you said earlier their pastoral what are their pastoral needs their unique pastoral needs? Um, okay, again, yeah, and, and one thing we talk a lot about is power, isn't it? And I think mm. from that quite often we talk about where does the power lie when we're trying yeah. to read text. But taking a step back, when we conduct our work as theologians. Where does the power lie? So quite often, I I was in a rather comical conversation where I was invited to Church House in Westminster next to Houses of Parliament in London. And I was sat in a room with a mixture of conservative and liberal theologians and church hierarchy. And they had a debate about, oh, we must really talk about power and privilege. And 
the amount of emails, couple of um, newspaper articles I did in religious newspapers over here to get in that room mm. and have a voice as an ordinary person. I thought that they're talking about it, they're writing about it very mm. cleverly, but they don't recognise they're part of it. Mm. You know, and they're not, and there's almost a collusion sometimes. But mm. we're all very good at keeping those on the margins. We're very good at speaking for those on the margins. We're quite often our different churches, denominations talk very well for those on the margin. Mm. But we're not a church of the people mm. who are on the margins. Where are they? You know, are they at the table? Are they on the different church committees? Yeah. Are they in the room? And often not. Yeah, totally. And 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 sometimes it's because you know it gets in the way of the um, very eloquently passed reflections on 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 what it means to be that identity, that marginalised <laughs> identity. You know, uh, yeah. You know, I absolutely, I have to say, I absolutely adore some of the uh, some of the words we sometimes use in church. And right. <laughs> I, I was, and we kind of dress things up to make them sound holy and. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking, oh God, it'd be about three years ago, about safeguarding to one of the bishops, uh, particularly for people with intersex traits. And there was a feeling, oh, no, we need to, you know, go through a period of prayer and discernment, you know, to before we think about what uh, safeguards we should put in place. And I'm thinking, come on, mate, take, think about it for five minutes. You don't need you don't need prayer and discernment to work yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> and so we come on, and I think we're very good at using words that yeah. other people, if it's anything, I'm an accountant, I would probably use some technical terms just to block people out and make <laughs> And I think, I don't know, we theologians yeah. are fantastic with words and fantastic, you know, like even... I think things like epistemic violence, which mm. we talk about that and I write about, mm. really fascinating. But to the person in the street, I'll probably get, if I start talking to the neighbour, mm-hmm. I might yeah. get just a little bit of a blank look. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I don't know why this one came to mind, but like using the like holy language to like when you're like, just think about it for five minutes and it would be obvious. But it's like, it's like you know, people often talk about like in particular types of churches where like teenagers want to ask each other out and like having to like couch either the approach of like, it's been really on my heart. I think Jesus wants us to date or the rejection of, uh, look, it's really on my heart. I've been praying and I think Jesus you know, wants me to date the much more attractive, cooler person over there. Um, you know, but like, you know, th- these kind of ways that, yeah, you, you, we, we couch things where you're like, as you say, when you just go, look, I think we just need to treat people better, you know, or we just need to safeguard those who are, who are already being treated poorly. Um, you know, you think the, the r- very easy response is, yeah, good call, how do we do it? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you, uh, you know, yeah, I'm kind of, kind of thinking about my own, <laughs> how I met my last partner and how, how many years, it took me about four years to ask them out. Because <laughs> <laughs> Because we were both in church, so, you know, I was thinking, oh, you know, yeah. you know, there were certain rules that this isn't a dating club. This is... Yeah, yeah, you know, sure, sure. 
I was a bit slow getting going. Um, <laughs> mm. So, yeah, sorry, carry no, on. That's all right, that's all right. Well, one thing I was, you know, this came up in our initial discussion on Twitter was, you know, and we've kind of been touching on it here, where is the proper, like, you know, location for the discussion about people with intersex traits? You know, as you say, it kind of naturally gets brought in to the discussions around gender and sexual diversity. But, you know, as you brought up on Twitter, there's, you know, an argument to be made that this fits better in the kind of, I guess, the field of, of, of disability theology. Um, and the like, or at least can, can fit there uh, as well. And so I guess I wanted to ask you a bit about that and I guess, you know, whether you feel that if that was where it kind of more naturally went to, whether it wouldn't be as much of a fight in the church, um, it wouldn't be as much of a, you know, whether that would change the contestation, uh, that's a word, uh, the contest around it at all. Yeah, now that's a really interesting point. And I think this is something that Susanna brought up actually in the podcast before. And I'm going to give another shout out for a book. Her right. book she yes. spoke about, which is Sex and Uncertainty, mm. The Body of Christ. And the reason why I'm showing this one is she talks a little bit about that disability. And it's funny, over the years, just, you know, somebody with the lived experience... I, you know, I do identify with the LGBT community, but cognizant many with insect traits don't. Mm. But even take, taking that, I still get very much drawn to disability theology. Absolutely. And when I've been talking to bishops about it, that's generally the direction of travel when we start talking about yeah. it. And does it take heat out of it? Because then there's less panic, if you like, that, oh, gosh, what does insects mean for our understanding of gender mm. and sexuality? Yes, it does take heat out of it, it doesn't, but that doesn't make it right. Mm. You know, it doesn't mm. mean. But personally, I do identify a lot with disability theology, uh, I was trying. There's something actually she wrote in here. I probably, I think I'll read it. Read mm. it out. I can't, yeah. can't remember the exact words. There's a bit where she says healing a particular conditional state of being does not necessarily equal eradicating it. Mm. So, why identify with that bit is quite often. When I start talking about my experience, people have been panicked by my existence, you know. It's like, what do you think I'm going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not, I'm not, this idea these people feel that just talking to me in some way they'll be tainted and they start suddenly praying that I'll be healed. And, and I often think, well, what exactly are you expecting there, you know? You know sometimes if people know a lot about what happens to intersex infants and all these non-consensual surgeries we have. Well, that's my story. No, so I've been through a lot. So, I, so there's a little bit of me thinking a bit comically, thinking, well, you know, I wonder if anything's happening here. So, you know, it, I was thinking, well, as you're praying, what are you expecting? You're expecting parts of my body to start transform or, mm, mm. Yeah. you know, what do you mean yeah. by that? Mm. You know, because... The issues we have is not, you know, there's many variations and there may be some medical issues associated with that, but for me personally, there isn't. 
So the problems I have are really with other people's attitudes and mm. responses mm. and this idea of secrecy and stigma. Yeah. Now, and this is where the disability theology really comes in, is that the biggest problem many people face is that idea of stigma. And, yeah, you know, there is the other stuff there, accessibility issues, depending on the disability or whether it's physical, mental disability, social. So, yeah, sure, there's differences and there are sort of physical aspects to this. And But where there's no pain, mm. you know, what it is all about other people's attitudes. Yeah. And one story I say is that certainly with intersex, we're still all a bit, particularly when you're English, you know, we're not very good about talking about stuff at the best of times. It's a bit personal. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, of course, it can be a little bit embarrassing when people start probing with some particular questions. Mm. But it's really the secrecy and stigma, mm. you know. Which, which makes you then think that, like, really, truly, the um, you know, with that kind of understanding, the prayer for healing really needs to be that the, the basically the prayer is the one who needs to be transformed, right? Is the prayer needs to be healed of, of these attitudes? You know, the thing that should be magically changing is is you know what they're thinking in here and the structures and 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 whatever out there. You know, that's the stuff that needs to, in those cases, you say transform. That's that's the healing that. Yeah, there's another conversation I just I can I'm thinking about right now mm. is you know, it's really it came really from somebody with very conservative views and it you know you either born male or female whereas obviously I had had traits that were not typical of a female baby mm. so he thought I was you know, the result of the fall, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we started talking about scripture. Now, for me, you know, I don't go to the Bible and look for the word intersex in there and see if I exist or not. I kind of, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like I kind of, it's not there for that. You know, the Bible, to me, it mentions love over 300 times. It's about love and mm. all being made in the image of God and we can go to the Psalms and stuff. So I thought, right, okay, he has this very narrow view that you've got to be mentioned somewhere for me to accept you. So we started talking about uh, about Matthew, talking about how, in the book of Matthew, about how Jesus talked about people who of eunuchs who were born mm. that way. We talk about in Acts about the Ethiopian unit being baptised by Philip and whatever. And I, I'm terrible. I, I should be on commission because I'm going to shout out another book. Kind of, <laughs> and I am I not on commission, but I damn well should be. I know. And, and for people from a more, this is an American author, mm. Mika Franza, who really writes for a more event conservative evangelical, not conservative, more evangelical perspective. Yeah. And she talks a lot about those going through scripture mm. stuff. And what this bloke said at the end went, he kind of relaxed and realised I wasn't some sort of somebody who was possessed or as a result right. of all. Went, oh, you're a eunuch. 
And then I had visions of saying, that's about you, but I was thinking about all these films that I've seen over the years, Hollywood films, all these yeah. units going around serving women in glass of goat milk, you know. I think, <laughs> I'm not sure if this is a blessing or not that he's suddenly likes me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I can finally put you in a biblical category. Um, yeah, that, yeah. I love that logic of yeah. Unless it's actually written down, it, it cannot possibly like in the in this like what 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 does he make of computers? I don't know. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> frogs even. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kangaroos. Um, yeah. That's hey, a... I just, can I do one more thing? I, yes. I just, just entertain me. I have. I do. I was actually the other day was going through and looking at all these different references to units, mm. and I put in my little bookmarks. Kookaburras. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I tell you, and, anyone who's... And a couple of kangaroos. Oh, that's brilliant. That makes my heart <laughs> sing. Anyone who's just... Um, this is really one of those ones that if you're just listening to the podcast, you've, you've missed out a lot of the lot of the fun of this, uh, a lot of the <laughs> thrills of this, this episode, but no, you've still got honest. Um, that's... Yeah, because it's so interesting then that that response, is, as you say, and, 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 and yeah, the, the kind of like able to kind of de-escalate it, quote-unquote, in his head but I guess as you say like you know when you were talking about you know also talking with the bishops and how it can kind of de-escalate going that road I guess there's also probably then as you say when you also feel a, a, a connection to an identification with um, the LGBT plus community you know maybe this pull of like you know I don't want to um, get my inclusion through this other way at the expense of showing the distance from from this, I'm sure that that must make it a, a complex, um, yeah, uh, you like, know, I, complex I, piece as well. Not saying that you're doing that, but I wonder if that's like you know, like that that must be a um, and, and just showing the complexity of the topic and of the as you say of the lived experience and why it's important to talk to people with a lived experience because I'm sure like yeah. you know all these things like you know, fine. you know, am I saint or am I sinner? How I go <laughs> about it, like uh, mm. you know, I'm very practical and. One one of the general things I often say and talking about the whole subject is, you know, I wish we had a bit of a theology of common sense, actually. <laughs> and because we sometimes go down these rabbit holes having very wonderful arguments and rather than taking a step back and having a good look at ourselves and going, well, is this person fundamentally a decent person or not? You know, without sticking them in a bucket and passing judgment on them. In terms of that, you know, disability or talking about sexuality and gender and theology around that, the reality is, and again, the research that I did at Surrey University bears this out, where we were looking at around public perceptions of intersex, mm -hmm. working with uh, Peter Hecate and David Griffiths, mm -hmm. was that we found that... LGBT-identified people were a lot more open to listening to our stories. Mm. And, and that's the reality. So when it came to talking about intersex in the church, it was the LGBT groups that were giving me a platform to talk about it. Mm. Mm. Now, that's the, real, that's the practicality, that's the reality. 
And personally, you know, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, it wasn't... The, the reality is... Oops. I'll get a bit carried away waving my arms around. <laughs> Actually, I was reaching for a cup of tea. Um, <laughs> they, there aren't many... It probably says something about us, doesn't it? But there aren't the same platforms there for people talking about disability theology, mm. which is something to think about, actually. Mm. And, you know, we talk... Over here, we and I, we have it in... Reaches out to Australia as well, it's inclusive church, where we're not just talking about gender sexuality. Yeah. We're talking about poverty. We're talking about disability. Mm-hmm. We're talking about ethnicity, and and we're talking about mental health. And I do think there are there are certain groups that are left even further behind. Mm-hmm. And it says rather a lot about us, and it's rather quite levelling, actually. Hundred percent. I appreciate you that that being brought up because I think sometimes yes, we 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 tend to kind of be a, a bit of a one issue at a time thing, and it's like and you know and, and we get all consumed with issues and 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 in particularly you know it's usually it's often in recent years being the the question of gender and sexuality, or in some churches it's the question of just um, women leadership. You know, not even getting to the beyond, but like but like. You know, we see now, you know, in the midst of this discussion, which is so important, there is as well, yes, what is, you know, gl- you know poverty on the rise, you know, and, 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 and huge gaps. There's, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, we're here in Australia, the push, for, you know, against, you know, continued um, persecution, violence, injustice towards First Peoples. You know, there's, there's all these issues the church needs to be wrestling with, all these voices who need to be brought to the table. And sometimes it feels like, yeah, the church goes, oh, we're just... This is the one we have to have now, um, and and sometimes forgetting that there's any level of like this community also includes people from those other communities. Um, we can't have the other ones yet, uh, and I yeah. think you're totally right that if we're going to say an inclusion thing, it's it's how do we uh, yeah actually you know it's it, it's a whole of thing transformation, not the okay we're now letting this group in. Um, yeah. and, and not going to change much until another group gets so vocal that, okay, now you two. And I think often we're not even actually really letting the group in. So, mm. I, I, you know, I think about poverty. So my own parents came from very working-class roots in the north of England and did well for themselves. No. Um, but, you know, I was a kid, I remember, you know, I can reflect back and mm. understand the issues down there. And over here we have a lot of food banks, as you know, I've seen when I was in Australia with have vans going around, soup kitchens yeah. and things. Yeah. So we're very good at providing for the poor, but are the poor really at the table? Would mm. be my question. And I think there's a common thread that goes through all of them. Mm. And whenever I've read anything, any sort of lived experience pieces or read the theology. To me, they're all saying the same thing, you know, just from a different lived experience. And it's all, it, a lot of it comes back to this power and privilege and sense of deferment 
And the other thing we've had, as you know, we've seen the Catholic Church in Australia mm. while I was there, was the issue around clerical sex abuse. Yep. And it's brought up some really big issues around this culture of deferment and lack of uh, accountability, you know, the opaqueness. Mm. And so it's, it's these cultural issues that are, are causing all the problems for me mm, mm. that are still not being tackled. Yeah. And we can talk about people who are poor. We can talk about any minority group, but until you actually really come to terms with that, and I'm talking about those, not I'm talking about everybody involved, whatever their standpoint, the conservatives, middle of the road, liberals, who are sharing in that power and privilege, mm. until they recognise they're actually part of the problem, one wonders if we can really, you know, truly talk mm. about including all the voices. Yeah. So I think that's the big issue because I honestly don't, from my own experience, they don't see it. It's not mm. that they don't want to see it. Well, there'll be some that don't want to see it and they feel well they've got it and they're protecting it with, you know, yeah. their best, some of these people have got the best brains in the in the world, I was going to say in the country, but, mm. you know, I was surrounded by Oxford and Cambridge educated theologians mm. who who were talking about parent privilege. Mm. And then that, you know, I talk about the church house and they don't see it. Mm. And what do you do about it? That's the question. I don't know. I don't have the answer. Yeah, I mean... I think, as you say, part of it is that, like, unless you are wrestling with the actual lived experience, unless you're going and, and hearing and, and, and investing the time and building relationships, and not just like, you know, we went and did a day trip and looked around or I, um, whatever, like had a brief encounter, you know, actually forming, you know, relationships, learning and, and being transformed and letting it actually transform, right? Not letting it be like a blip in it, but letting that actually be the thing that shapes the work that's then produced, the um, conclusions that are drawn, the, the the proposals that are made. You know, you're right. It doesn't it doesn't happen. It's you know, it's yeah, and it is it is the story that that plagues all these issues of you know we want to talk more about a topic than um, the actually changed by people. All right, I'll give you one where it could change. Right. I got I got invited got invited to talk to one of the senior bishops. Mm-hmm. Uh, over a year ago, who I think I upset hollow the bishops as a result of a piece I wrote in the Church Times over here. So they're trying to quiet me down, I think. Very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was invited to the bishop's palace, which is all very nice. But you could say, well, you know, actually, if you want a proper chat, do you invite them to the palace mm. or do you go down to your local coffee shop and have a chat? That, mm. That's yeah. Another bishop, another very senior bishop I spoke to, we went down the local coffee shop who recognised that. So anyway, I, I turn up at the bishop's palace and I knock on the door. Lovely doors, 
Great big oak things, fantastic. And I thought, yeah, okay, I know we should be down a local coffee shop, but you know what, this is a really lovely building. I wouldn't mind having a look in there. Yeah. <laughs> so knock hard, no response. Knock hard again. Next minute, somebody right behind in the tradesman entrance, a little annex built. This Bishop Palace was, you know, 300 years old. This annex was built in the 70s and was a bit shoddy. Somebody comes out of this annex and went, oh, can you come through this door, please? (laughs) (laughs) So I walked through this really bit rubbish 70s annex, going past on this sort of four-mica floor (laughs) and then get walked into the Bishop's Mm, Palace and sit in the waiting room and, you know, looking at these... Uh, pictures from previous bishops the last couple hundred years I thought you know what let us through the front door because I'm sure what's important important yeah they wouldn't have dragged me through the bat would they (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) there's little things like that there's really yeah 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 100% as you say, like not only the like you have to come here where you know all the pomp and circumstance can potentially you know intimidate you into 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 falling back in line, but even that exactly like just like oh yeah, someone pokes their head out of rinky dink door and tells you to come by. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate yeah, I appreciate that a lot. It's, and I, I'm going to go on a bit more because it's such a fantastic day. So they brought me this mm. tea and cake from this beautiful China service. So I was actually quite enjoying myself, to be fair, even though I'm you know, saying probably it should be down at the local coffee shop. And anyway, I had to wait for the bishop. And then the bishop comes in and, and the staff mm-hmm. call the bishop your lordship and so forth. And, and then asked, oh, what would your lordship, would your lordship like a cup of tea? I was thinking, I said, I think I'll be wanting something stronger than that in the cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> so all this pretense, this British English pretense, uh, blew away, which was lovely. <laughs> and I, I, I put that down to this is what I love about Australia. You know? <laughs> I, think, I think it was that 15 years in Australia. Yeah. And coming coming back to England to talk to some of the bishops, affecting <laughs> my uh, interpersonal skills. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad we could do such a thing. Like, that's a great cultural I um, education. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's so great. But and and but again, it goes down to that like common sense thing, or the you know we don't need to sacralize this. We we're talking about something very. We're talking about human dignity and the, and the basic, you know, requirements of being treated with human dignity. Let's just talk about that and let's just get to that. Because um, I think, you know, a lot of, as, as, you know, with a lot of these kind of conversations, we're trying to get that seat at the table. Some, you know, there's a sense in which what we need is huge cultural systemic overhaul if this is actually going to be, you know, a place for all of us. Um, but then all, almost some, in some ways at the same time, what we're often asking, what's often been asked for is pretty sm- small beans, you know, like it's, it's you know, or, or as in it's at least just like it could be done like that, 
right? Like it could be, you know, we want this part of the liturgy changed. We want this um, written into polity or we want this just treatment, um, you know, in the same way that you are already very comfortable treating this other group, you know, like the people who look and, 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 and reflect who you are, you know, that's that like in some ways that, that, you know, I often feel that must be the very like head against the wall thing of like, is it so much to ask for the, you know, these, these crumbs from the master's table kind of thing. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So it depends on your denomination, doesn't it? And your own tradition. So, you know, the Church in England is very hierarchical. That's its history. And I think in some ways that's kind of what you buy up to when you're part of the Church of England. You know, it's led effectively by the bishops mm. and governed by the synod. And But there's still, even within that model of church, for mm. better words, explaining it, there's so much more they could do. Mm. By inviting it simply to the table. Yeah. And mm. ultimately, isn't that a, that's all it's about, isn't it? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Ah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, you know, we're coming close to, to finishing up. It's been a great conversation. It's flown by. Um, I guess you, you kind of mentioned a bit of the beginning, but I mentioned like, you know, things you're working on now or you're, you know, any work you've got going on through the C of E or, or, or elsewhere that people might want, you might want to draw people's attention to or what they can look out for. Uh, do you want to you know, plug anything away at this point? Yeah, so the main, the, there's two things really. So one next year is going to be this book that's coming out around trauma theology, yep. which, you know, Karen O'Donnell is pulling together. The other thing is the living in love and faith mm. uh, in the C of E. So actually... For people born with intersex traits, it has been a pivotal moment, as critical as I can be of the whole process. And critical I could be putting on an LGBT hat. Actually, for people with intersex traits, it has been a major moment because it's the first time the Church of England has actually spoken about this. Right. Recognises. Yeah. And I, I, have, I was invited to do a video Mm -hmm. uh, video resource so within their it's a teaching thing basically that they're going through for a year mm -hmm. before they put together proposals for change if there will be any proposals obviously but I did a video for that which is about four or five minutes long where I tell a little bit of my own story now the only problem with it you do actually actually have to register if you like when you go on the link if you put in the search engine living in love and faith church of england it kind of takes you to the resources Great. and it is a major milestone mm, mm. now there's a lot i can say that's missing in the written resources i could say because they haven't had anybody with insect traits actually on Yep. Their groups, they're missing a lot. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, it's a major turning yeah. point. Mm. And I see it as a start. Yeah. So I'm very pleased. Mm. I'm, I'm <laughs> in many ways, but I'm also very pleased. 
Um, And my hope, my prayer, if you like, is that all those people with variations and their families feel a little bit more able to talk to their vicar about it if they feel the need. And, you know, I've had generally, you know, it depends where you are again, as per usual. You know, I've had vicars come up to me and says, oh, I've, you know, I've baptised three children with variations, you know, in recent years. Whereas I've heard from one parent that went, well, actually getting my baby baptised was really difficult and the vicar wanted to go to the bishop, which is, I I just can't believe it. It's unfathomable. But, so that's where yeah. we're at. In yeah. some ways, it, for that reason, it's been probably a good few months. Yeah. Um, as you say, that's, that is like, such a, a, a gentle and generous hope of, of exactly here is just like it is the thing of like you know that can be gained from you know in some ways that that kind of very structured thing of look it's been talked about here which means you know I have something then to bring to my more local you know representative of the church and and, and, and yeah you do just hope that it does open up some conversations and and as you say it's it's the start but but you know yeah it's the start yeah, and really my call out is to all theologians out there, just think about how they do yeah. their theology and make sure. It's important. Well, I don't want to scare people off. <laughs> so don't do this or all be angry. <laughs> in, you know, the work I've done with Susanna is absolutely fantastic. Mm. At the end of the day, she's independent-minded, quite rightly. That's her job as an academic and as a theologian. It's not about me rewriting people's mm. work. Mm. But it's having that conversation and that involvement. And so at least you're heard. Mm. But I, don't, I don't feel the need that we have to just uh, agree with everything. Mm. But, yeah. Uh, important because otherwise we're just going to... We need people to be engaged with these areas. Yeah, yeah. And have your own thoughts mm. and make your own mistakes, in fact. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I've made, made plenty. hours. <laughs> 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 but, but yeah, as you say, it, and like, but at least if you're making those mistakes then and you've been in dialogue, then it's much easier to then, you know, have that dialogue resume and, and, and you do either cop to that or at least make your case. You know, so I think you're right. Like, yeah, that, that's such an important message that's coming out of this conversation of, of you know, actually talking to people with lived experience and, and, and letting that shape the work. Yeah, you end up, you're the one doing the work is going to be marked by, by you, but but it should hopefully be shaped and, and changed and, well, let's just say it, better <laughs> because that, that, that process happened, yeah. Mm. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us on Love, Rinse, Repeat. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, and, and hopefully we'll chat again sometime. Thank you. It's been been wonderful.